Hey friends, this is Reiko Zek. You're listening to Jesus in the Center, One Year Bible Bo- Podcast, and I'm super glad you are. Today is day number 8, January 8th, and the readings today are Genesis 18 and 19, Matthew 6 and 7, Psalm 8, and a little bit of Proverbs chapter 2. Let's pray. Oh Lord, open your word to us. Let us meditate on it. Let us be blessed as we do. Let us be centered on you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, there's a lot here. There's a recurring theme of of judgment or judging, and uh, there's there's wickedness, and there's worry. There's just a lot to take in here. So uh, if you're just reading this and finding the the main things that will stand out for you, good. Uh, If you're trying to figure it all out, good. You know, if you're somewhere in the middle, that's great too. Well, you may have read these stories before. You've definitely heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here at the end of Genesis uh, 18 that we pick up today, remember there was three figures who visited Abraham, Abraham and uh, it turns out that one is called the Lord, and we find out here more specifically also the other two, as we see at the beginning of chapter 19, seem to be angels, the two angels they are called. So, they're also called men. So it's like God and these angels showing up in human figure. And I think you know who that is. It's our Lord Jesus who shows up uh, before Abram. Well, it turns out here that there is this wicked city just below, you know, the in the plain. And it it is it is deserving of destruction. And, and we might think, well, who can judge? I, could God just do that? Like, what's the big deal? Um, you know, these, these people in the city are engaging in, in homosexuality, what we might even call, they used to call Sodomy, right, named after the city of Sodom. And it, it has an outcry. It has a, a wickedness that cries out against God. And we might think to ourselves, well, what's the big deal, right? These, in this story, at least in Sodom, the, uh, the men don't seem to have functioning relationships with one another. They're just you know, craving lust, you know, the, the desires of the flesh. Uh, what about those who, you know, have a, uh, relationships who uh, are monogamous? Well, again, we, we can't, we, we can say what the Bible says. Uh, here we have an example uh, in Sodom that is not right. Remember Genesis 1 and 2? It is that there should be one man and there should be one woman and that they should be for a lifetime. It's, it is a beautiful picture that we see is there's so many deviations of that that we've seen so far. We see Lamech, the uh, grandson of Cain, who has two wives and he's boasting about it. That's not right, dude. And then we see wickedness uh, in the days before the flood. And then again, we see more wickedness here. And this wickedness is crying out against the Lord, against what is right. And so Abraham, Abraham gets the sense that God is going to destroy this city. And so he pleads with him. He says, what if there are 50 righteous? You wouldn't, you wouldn't destroy the whole city if there's 50 righteous there, would you? And then he, he says to the Lord, and this is an important thing, I'd highlight this. Verse 20, 25 says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? <clears throat> Excuse me. That's something for us to remember. Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? He will. He will do what is right. And then he pleads with him, in prayer. I think it's a, a good example for us. Abram is, even though he's weak often in faith, he is 
strong in faith as well. And so he pleads before the Lord because he knows the Lord, even though he's a God who is a judge, he's also a God who is merciful. And so he, he kind of works him down to this question, what if only 10 can be found there? And then he stops there, but he, he goes back and forth in prayer. And I think that is a, a good example for us. And then we see in chapter 19, the scene changes, it's evening and it is in Sodom and the two angels show up at the city gate, which is sort of the center of social life in, in the ancient Near East. The, so much happens at the gates of the cities or the entrance of the city. Well, the two angels show up and Lot says to them, you know, he bows down with his face to the ground and he calls them my Lord and stay at my house. And they're very hospitable. And they say, no, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insists, and he insists probably because he knows what will happen. What will happen is that there are men in the city who desire them, who want them sexually. And again, we know this is a deviation from God's plan in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is repeated other places in Scripture. Just so you have it, you can write it down. Leviticus 18, 22, it says that a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman. That's an abomination to the Lord. Romans 1 tells us that um, it is a shameful act as well and that it happens when men are given over, and that's, that's kind of a technical term in the Bible, given over to their lusts. It's not natural. For those of, of you who struggle with this, you might think, how can I get out of this? Like, is this just my lot in life to be destroyed? And just like as in any sin, yes, on your own. Right? That could be the same with gambling or uh, you know, lust of a man towards a woman um, or lying. Whatever it is, it can eat you up and it can take you uh, further than you want. It can destroy you. But that is, not, that is not the end. So we know this in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul is writing to a group of, of new Christians who many of them had been engaged in a homosexual life. And he says, but such were some of you. But you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You can be washed and set free. Now, will it be easy? No, it's not easy for any of us, right, who become Christians and have these long ingrained patterns of gossip or, um, you know, conniving, whatever it might be. God can change us. So sanctification, washing, this is good news, right? So Anyway, we see here with Sodom that, that God ends up destroying it. We have the angels, the men who are there to answer Abraham's prayer. Remember, he says, don't destroy it, save the righteous. And the city will be destroyed, but the angels try to rescue as many as possible. And so, you know, they ask Lot, do you have any more? Who else can we rescue? And he tries to get his sons-in-law, those who are engaged to his daughters. By the way, his daughters, they've never slept with a man, but Lot, in his weakness, he he even offers them to the, the men of the city. I, I can't believe that. But uh, So Lot is called other places in Second Peter. Uh, he's called a righteous man who was vexed, I think is the old word, vexed in his spirit because of, of what was going on in Sodom. But he even gives in and, and offers his daughters, which they don't take. His sons-in-law thought that he was joking, and so they don't go along when they're leaving. He himself even hesitates, verse 16 there of, of chapter 19, he hesitates. But the, the angels, the men, grasp his hands, and, and they take him out and lead him out safely. And um, 
and he asks them if he can stay at this a small city. Don't destroy this little city. It's called Zoar. And his wife, it says that she turned back and she became a pillar of salt. She became part of the destruction. We might think that's really harsh. And yeah, it, it does sound harsh. But what does this mean? Does this mean that she just kind of glanced over her shoulder or did she... Did she want to go back? Did she stop believing and stop going along with the rescue? And I have a note in my Bible. This is from uh, one of the church fathers, Clement. It says that um, those, of, those who are double-minded and who distrust the power of God bring down judgment on themselves. And that's quite a warning for us. Well, we see also this, um, you know, the daughters of Lot, they conspire to again, try to try to make things happen on their own. And so they, they end up tricking their dad and, and two nights sleeping with him to preserve their family line. And, you know, so many times so far in Genesis, we see that. I'm going to do it myself, God. I'm going to figure it out. This is what Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, you know. Well, it doesn't work out well. So we see their their sons, Moab and Ben-Ami, you know, become the fathers of these nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And these are not friendly uh, over the course of history with, with Israel. They become arch enemies, even though they're related, you know, going back, they become arch enemies. Well, that's Genesis. So much to think about there, and I only skimmed the surface. But if you have questions or thoughts, uh, happy Happy to try to look into them for you and help you out with that. So we also have a good word from our Lord Jesus who on the Sermon on the Mount tells us about worry. And because he knows what we need, he tells us that we don't need to worry. And there's so much to, to think about here, but I just wrote down a couple things that um, about worry. And he says, um, Jesus here, he almost makes fun of worry. He says, this is the ESV version. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Uh, in Greek, it's something like a, a cubit. By worrying, can you make yourself uh, taller, right? No. <laughs> well, you don't worry about trying to get to be seven feet tall. Jesus is also saying, you shouldn't worry about trying to make your life longer or to make to make sure that you have the things that you need. Remember in uh, earlier in the chapter, earlier in the sermon, he, he said, pray, pray. And one of the things we pray for is give us this day our daily bread, the bread that is for today. And so uh, he refers us to that and says, don't worry, but instead pray. Let, you know, Luther kind of had a summary of this. He says, uh, pray and let God worry, right? That's not really a quote. That's, that was just kind of an offhanded comment that Luther made. Pray and let God worry. In other words, you don't have to worry. Let God be the one who is concerned on your behalf. We could go on and on about that, but I think this is, it's easy to say, and it's hard to do to not worry. Um, Jesus goes on here and um, tells us that we can trust the Father, our Father in heaven, for all the things that we need. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. There's enough trouble just for today. Then he talks about judging. This theme comes up again. Uh, back in, in Genesis, we had Abraham say, well, will not, when he's pleading with the Lord, will not the judge of the earth do what is right? And then in, in, in uh, Sodom, the city there, we see that the, the men in Sodom say to Lot, this fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. They thought that, you know, he was judging them. And uh, 
that was not his intent. His intent was, um, his intent was, well, it was something else. It wasn't, he was trying to not let them have these men, right? Uh, don't, don't, ha don't, for, don't engage in this horrible act. And then they say, who are you to judge us? We can have them, just give them to us, right? Well, here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And this is taken, and this is some people's favorite verse. It's bumper stickers, it's their life verse. But it's really used not in the way that Jesus says. Does Jesus say, don't ever judge? Like I already did, right? I read to you today. I, I told you about Romans 1. I told you about Leviticus that said you should not sleep with a man if you're a man. That is that judging? Well, maybe that's just repeating what God has said. God is the, the judge. I think Jesus' point is how you do it. Are you out to point out everyone's faults and to focus on their faults? You know, he calls what the speck in your brother's eye when you have this big log in your own, right? And then he says, you hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye. In other words, focus on the big thing that is, that is there, your own faults. And then he says, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Then you can help your brother with their little tiny thing in their life. What you got is a big problem. What they got and you might be able to help them is a little tiny problem. Anyway, interesting. Then he says, ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to you. And then he says that your father loves to give. I just love this. He says, uh, if you then know how, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love this. And Jesus repeats this. I'm sure he said this many, many times. In Luke, I believe it's chapter 10, he says the same thing. And he applies the, the good gift there to asking for the Holy Spirit. And so we do. And then I think this is an important couple way we end today. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. We see in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was destruction. It was a way away from God and it was wide open. Anyone could enter and it ended with destruction. We could say the same with our world. Our world will end in destruction. We, we know that, but we want flip back we when we say that kind of thing just like lots of son-in-laws people will think we're joking or like foolish or whatever or they'll say to us who are you to judge us right well jesus himself tells us this that the wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction but hallelujah verse 14 small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it Jesus has come to be the gate, right? We see that in John and, and in the Gospel of John. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he comes to give this, but you have to walk through it. He is the gate. Right? And I, I like to think, I've, I thought about this before, how narrow is the way that leads to life? I don't know, maybe six feet? What was Jesus' arm span when he died on the cross, right? Probably less than six feet but it's also wide open to the whole world. So the whole world can enter through the gate. It's wide enough. Um, but if you go outside of Christ, um, it's destruction. And why is that? That sounds really judgmental. 
Well, it's because no one else can be the rescuer that we read about in Genesis 3.15, the one who will crush the serpent, the one who will destroy sin, death, and the devil. Only Jesus has done it. Well, we'll pause there and keep moving. Psalm 8 is a beautiful psalm. Oh Lord, we could, this. remember there's caps here. Oh Yahweh, our Lord, our Master, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. We see from, from what God has created that he, he is glorious. We look around. Yesterday was a beautiful day with a couple inches of snow, and it was just sunny. It was glorious. And that's just right here in my corner of western New York. How much more the whole earth. He has set his glory in the heavens. Verse 2, it says this, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Uh, through the mouth, other ways translated, through the mouths of babes and infants, thou hast ordained uh, praise. Interesting here that Jesus quotes this when he's riding in. Um, this is Matthew 21. He'll later ride in to the city of Jerusalem on a white, or I, I guess a donkey, um, and which is a symbol of him, of him taking the kingship. He's riding in, and the, the people are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our of David. Um, Hosanna to the son of David, and so on. And the, the grown-ups and the kids, they're singing his praise. And he's in the temple, and it says that the children are still singing his praise. And the, uh, the chief priests and so on, they say, what are you doing, Jesus? Can't you hear what these children are saying? In other words, can't you hear them lauding you and almost worshiping you? Stop it. And he says, haven't you read what, what was written? Through the, the mouths of babes and infants you have ordained praise. So Jesus quotes this Psalm 8 to say, this is towards me. The true praise that children will give is towards me, the one who will come to be their savior. I love it. Good stuff. Um, it also talks about how God, um, he, he creates with his fingers, right? The, the moon and the stars, is, he just has to, you know, think if you make something with your fingers, you know, you just, it's tiny. And that's what the heavens and the earth are to God. They're, they're tiny. And then he's put man here. And literally, it's Adam. What is Adam that you are mindful of them, of him, human beings that you care for them? And, and it's fine to, to translate this mankind and human beings, but it's literally Adam, or the, that's the Hebrew word for man. Literally man. What is man that you're mindful of him? And interesting that this is also quoted in, in Hebrews chapter 2, and it's talking here about Jesus who became, who became man. And there it says... Uh, I'll just read that in the ESV, Hebrews 2, verse 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, this is the way it's interpreted. The author of the Hebrews says this, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So later on, this is interpreted to be about Jesus. Jesus, the one who became man, who became lower than the angels. 
and then also would become the ruler or is the ruler, even though we do not yet see it. All right, that's, that's Psalm 8. It's a beautiful psalm. And then Proverbs, we won't spend much time here. I'll just pick out one. Verse 12, Proverbs 2.12 says this, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. And I think that reminds us of Sodom and also of Jesus. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And we say, O oh Lord Jesus, the way is narrow, but you have opened it for us. Well, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.